0: Humanity in healthcare is, is seeing and being seen and hearing and being heard and healing and being healed. More human
1: healthcare means I know what matters to my patients, not just what's the matter with them. And
0: more human
1: healthcare means extending kindness, compassion and fair treatment regardless of my faith, nationality and race. Remembering that underneath it all, we're all human.
0: More human health care means remembering everyone involved is human. As staff,
1: it would mean the umbrella of safety and compassion is extended to me. As a patient, it would mean not to be unfavourably cared for because of who I am. More human health care means a warm and listening face, an attitude of respect, and an honest and open response. Humanised healthcare for me is more than just dressing my wounds, it's holding my hand, looking into my eyes, asking how I feel, it's checking that I'm not scared, Treating. treating me like a human being.
0: Welcome to the Humanising Healthcare podcast. series from the Point of Care Foundation. In today's episode, we're going to be asking the question, who cares for the people who lead our care organisations? I'm David Jones. I lead the staff experience programmes work at the Point of Care Foundation. And today I'd like to welcome Rebecca Myers, who comes with a wide variety of experience from the healthcare sector over the last 35 years including lots of work with us at the Point of Care Foundation. Rebecca loves variety in her work, and when you hear about her experience, you'll understand what that means. Welcome, Rebecca. It's great to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, David. Lovely to be here.
0: So our mission at the Point of Care is to make care more human for people working to deliver care and for the people they care for. And in this series of the podcast, we're exploring the reality of care from a wide range of perspectives. Our intention is to share perspectives most of us don't often hear. As we've said in the previous episodes, this is particularly important when we're hearing so many unhelpful unful- things in the media and in society in general about care staff and leaders. All these stories about heroes and villains and all these unrealistic expectations that just get in the way of reality and make life harder for people. Those of us who are in touch with people working in care know it is always much more complex and much more human than that. We're really delighted to have you with us today, Rebecca, and to share your experience of what's going on out there. I wonder if you could start by just telling us a little bit about the roles that you have in working with the NHS.
1: Okay, lovely. Well, I suppose like many people, I hold a range of roles. I chair a charity uh, which runs a community hospital which provides health, social and well-being activity in Norfolk. I'm also a trustee of another charity, which is the Queen's Nursing Institute that supports community nursing. I'm a visiting fellow at the London South Bank University involved in running clinical leadership programmes and uh, mentor sites setting up Schwartz Rounds for the Point of Care Foundation. I'm also a registered nurse and I now work on a bank uh, arrangement in a district nursing team in a fairly deprived area of London. And uh, finally, I'm a professional doctoral student um, at the University of Hertfordshire. Yeah, so quite a mix.
0: Wow, what a mix. (laughs) So (laughs) that sounds like a very busy and fascinating collection of But can you tell us a little bit about what that works typically involves?
1: So typically, and as you said, it's eclectic, but typically my work involves either direct care um, or mentoring or coaching of either patients, so people receiving care or people providing care. And then also I'm involved in governance and strategy and research and also providing sort of leadership around all different aspects of care. So quite a, a broad spectrum. Uh, I think the other thing that you know you asked me about my roles, I think the other roles that I wanted to reflect that I'm also a mother and, and a wife and a, a granddaughter and a friend, but also I've been a carer and recently I've been a patient. So these multiple roles that we hold in life.
0: Fantastic. And there's something really important about acknowledging that all of those things play out in the way that we engage with and understand the system as it goes. Absolutely. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you, Rebecca. So one of the things that kind of led to this conversation was some work you've done with colleagues looking at the experience of senior leaders in healthcare, around watch rounds and access to kind of reflective practice and how they are in touch with their own emotions and the work they do. And I just wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what you're seeing among senior leaders out there in the system at the moment, What what sort of pressures you're seeing them under and what sort of needs, I guess, you can see for them.
1: I think that in terms of what I'm seeing, I think there's a a variety of different responses to what's happening at the moment. And that, I think, depends as much on where people are sitting in their leadership roles. Um, But if I think about it from people who are sitting in leadership roles in provider organisations, organisations that are responsible for actually providing care. I think the, the most strongest thing I'm seeing is a huge focus on keeping things going really trying to maintain services. But alongside that, uh, a very strong concern about staff, how to support them, how to retain them, how to recruit them, uh, very concerning. And also I think there's a real pressure to be positive, publicly anyway, and to be reassuring to both staff and the public at large. But I think there are private concerns about the recovery in light of the pandemic, but also the previous 10 years of experience of what's going on in the health service, and a concern about sustainability. I think there, what I also see is a real commitment and determination to try and improve things. So even though that is happening, that there is a real desire to try and make things better. I hear people talk about a sense of gratitude from the public when there is a recognition, uh, a public recognition of just how difficult it is trying to provide healthcare services and social care as well, I think, because obviously those two are very interlinked. But I think there's also a sense of feeling tired as leaders, worried, torn about keeping the show on the road today, but also thinking about how to plan and organise for the future. So these real tensions that they're carrying.
0: And that sounds like that could carry a real sort of emotional burden for those people in that situation, that idea of being positive and reassuring when they may be struggling and stressed and under pressure themselves.
1: Yeah, I think, think, you know, we have a society that seems to privilege being positive. We want to always show that we can do that things are possible, et cetera. And so it becomes very difficult to voice any different opinion around that. And and there's lots of research looking at what is it that causes some of these distresses and the burnout and depression and, and difficulties that people face. And part of it is this incongruence with having to put on a particular public face when it's very different to how we're feeling privately. So, and I think leaders in particular, often fall victim to that because of the expectations that we have as Mm. society of them.
0: Yeah, and I'm really struck by some of the narrative we see in the media at the moment, this kind of punitive, they're getting it all wrong, they need to be doing different things, playing out at the same time as people are putting in this enormous discretionary effort, having to wrestle with these things and, That feels like a pretty unhappy combination of things.
1: Yeah, I think it's difficult. I think people will form views of what people should do in those circumstances, what they would do in those circumstances. But often, you know, what we think we will do, and a lot of the research bears this out, what we think we would do and what we actually do is very different. One of the things that I watched the film, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Sully, um, yes. which is about yes which is about the plane crash in the hudson river and one for me one of the most powerful scenes in it is when they are doing the investigation and they are questioning the decisions that the the pilots made and doing a reconstruction of the situation through a simulator and actually how the actors reflect back that that's devoid of any of the emotional Content of what was going on in that moment, yeah. and so we often post-rationalize what goes on, and we 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 make a decision about what people should and shouldn't do from a very different emotional position to the ones that are facing it. And I think that's always important
0: to remember. And I mean, you mentioned this big focus that's there for staff well-being at the moment, and this responsibility that you know we're seeing it in our work at the Point of Care Foundation, and I'm hearing about it in other roles I've got where. Um, there is so much commitment and so much effort been putting into staff wellbeing at the moment has been taken more seriously than any time I've seen in you know my twenty five plus years around the NHS and I'm just wondering what did you see of that support for leadership roles at the moment? My suspicion is there's not enough of it.
1: I think I think that's I would very much share your observations, David. I think that you know it's important that the well-being of staff is attended to recognise. And, and, and I would also say it's important to recognise that this is not a new phenomena, that staff's experience of dealing with care and the difficulties of that has been going on for many years and is well researched. But I think in terms of the support for leaders, I think that it, it's complicated. I think there is sort of structural support. So the system, if you like, the Leadership Academy, NHS England, putting in structures to support people, offering people coaching. But I think also there's a lot of peer support, which I think is really important. So both formal and informal. So because of the complex nature of their roles, the sensitivity of the things that they're dealing with, I think that leaders often find it harder to speak Publicly about some of that, and so seek out people who perhaps have similar types of roles or who are separate from the system where they feel they can perhaps be more open about the, the, the difficulties that they're facing and um, the complexities and their own emotional challenge of that. Um, I think also, hopefully, they have, when they have good teams, so some of the research that we did, when they've got a good team around them then the team can help to share that load, even though the the leaders are ultimately responsible. Actually, when you've got good teamwork, then there becomes much more of a sort of unitary accountability and responsibility. But I think often they also seek their support from their sort of personal networks, so their family and their friends, where there's much more of a high level of trust. And, And also I think there is support gained from being in different networks where actually you realise that the issues that you're facing aren't just within your organisation, that actually they are much more systemic, uh, and I think that what we have seen with the the pandemic is much more of that recognition that isn't just in this hospital or this community trust or this general practice. It's much more systemic that lots of people are facing these sorts of issues and trying to come to terms with it, because mm. um, I think it can be very lonely being a leader. And I think people don't necessarily recognise that. And uh, and it also can be very intense. So I think the other thing is for leaders when they're finding support is about how they switch off, how they actually hand over, delegate and take some time out and make sure that they focus on different things at different times, but also that they have good basic support like administrative support infrastructure around them to help them to to manage those things i think the other thing that i think is is i'm observing which i think is also very helpful is other organisations who are speaking for leaders on their behalf so organisations like nhs providers the nhs confederation you know, representing the concerns collectively. So it just reinforces that it's not an individual person's difficulty or an individual organisation's, but it's much more across the system. And finally, I think one of the things in terms of support, which I think is really important and speaks to the research that we did for you as a point of care around leaders, is a recognition from their staff of the complexity of their roles and the difficulties that they are facing and the constraints that they are often having to deal with so that when they're not perhaps responding in the way staff want them to or think they should, that actually it may be because there are other things that staff aren't aware of that make it difficult. And so I think that it's interesting, the Schwartz rounds, the research that we did, getting leaders to talk about what it was like sitting in Schwartz rounds, was interesting in as much as not only did they see it as important for their staff and really valued it, but sometimes they found it much harder to express their own experiences and feelings for this sense of vulnerability. But what was also interesting in that was that when they did, the staff were really appreciative of it and actually the staff then could understand more why they were making the decisions they were making and how it was also difficult for them and that they were human too so i think you know it, it's a very difficult one
0: that's that's such an interesting observation that there's something about the the recognizing the importance of leaders within an organization modeling the kind of things that can help staff engage with their emotions and be in touch with sort compassion for each other. That there's a sort of modeling role there, but there's also a direct benefit to the leaders when they're able to put themselves in that situation. And then I kind of felt the vulnerability of that, that sense of having to kind of open up maybe when you're already feeling pretty vulnerable yourself is a it's a hard place to be.
1: It is very hard and, and it can have benefits and it carries risks. And I think I wouldn't want to present it as, you know, um a solution to to all of these things I think it's very interesting I read an article I don't know if you saw it in the health service journal where they had uh, interviewed some chief execs uh, as a sort of round table about their experiences and the chief execs were very open and what was interesting was the response so there was a a diversity of responses but it was almost sort of polarized in the sense of those that were saying it's really good to hear that they sometimes have doubts that they're not sure etc and that they worry they're human too and then on the other side you have well they need to suck it up that's their job that's what they're paid for and I think that you know part of thinking about how we support each other is to think about the consequences of our responses to those sorts of things. So if we want our leaders to be more in touch with what's going on and be more open and honest, and yet we criticize them or judge them for being human, it will make it much harder for them to do that.
0: Mm. And I
1: think the consequences of that is that for our organizations, they become less human.
0: That's such an interesting point. And I'm just thinking that many of our audience for this podcast are people who are members of the Schwartz community. They'll have a role in making Schwartz happen. And I'm just wondering, are there any are there any kind of key lessons from your research that you would share with them that might help them engage leaders and make, make the space safe for leaders to participate?
1: I think that... One of the things I would say is to have these conversations with your senior leaders in your organisations to recognise the difficulties that they face, both in terms of their roles, but also in that exposure. I think it was interesting, I was chatting yesterday to a group in, in sort of Schwartz facilitators, and we were talking about how It's a bit like being a parent, being in a family, you know, that in some ways when you're a small child, you think and want your parents to be able to sort it all out. When you hit your teenage years or whatever, you realise actually they don't know as much as you thought they did. And that can be a bit unsettling. And then as you get older, you you start to see them again in a different light. So there's a sort of maturity, I think, about this to be able to have sort of adult, adult, if you like, discussions with people, but recognise it takes time and that there will be all sorts of things in the local context that will shape how confident leaders are to expose how they're feeling. And they will be making a judgment call about do they think it would be helpful for their staff as well as for them.
0: Yeah. And so that's, that's really important guidance that it takes time and it takes time to develop and mature and you don't know how to do it right at the beginning you know, no. there's something about you learn over time together in relationship with each other. Really helpful. Can I take us in a slightly different direction and just ask you, what gives you energy in your work? What, what brings you joy?
1: In terms of my work, what gives me energy is the relationships that I find myself engaged in. The sense of endless curiosity about what's going on, What are people doing? What do they think they're doing? What impact is that having? How can we think about it in a way that might be helpful together to ultimately find ways to provide better care and support for people? And people, that means both people receiving the services that we provide, but also the people that are providing it. So I think that's what I'm energised about. And also a strong passion for their the, the health service and what it can do. I think that without wanting to sort of idolise it, I think that its capacity to be alongside people at their most vulnerable is a really important function in society. Uh, so I think that, that's what energises me. I'm, I'm working with like-minded people who want to try and, and make a difference and are open and honest. I'm willing to admit that they don't know or that sometimes it's difficult so people really it's the people that energizes me and the
0: purpose fantastic and yeah I love that point about not knowing that it's often the hardest thing to do isn't it is to admit that we don't know and it's probably the most useful thing most of us can ever do Absolutely. so you described a bit at the beginning about this kind of huge variety of roles and relationships you have with the care system as a you know as a patient and as a carer and as a sort of member of society and as a developer of leaders and a researcher and and a nurse and and just it's a bewildering array of relationships you have with the system and I'm really curious about you know what do you notice as as kind of differences that when when you're working as a district nurse, for example, versus when you're a leadership developer, or when you're supporting leaders through sports, what what are the sorts of key differences you notice from those perspectives?
1: I mean, I think that, I think there's lots of differences I notice, and then there's lots of similarity. I think probably the word that encompasses all of those things about what I notice is the paradoxical nature of the work in healthcare. So when I'm working clinically, for example, I think what becomes most prominent for me is the core purpose of the health service. What is it about? What is it there for? And so going out and seeing patients, what I notice is both the importance of the work that the health service does, but also the limitations of it in terms of how healthcare can impact on people's health. So, actually, what else makes a difference to keep people healthy? You know, I, I often say that as a district nurse, community nurse, you see firsthand the impact of national policy on society. I think the other thing clinically I noticed is this—you know—this contrast between bureaucracy and flexibility. So, lots of rules and procedures and policies, but also as a clinician in that moment with that patient, having to make some decisions about whether you apply that or whether it would not be helpful in this context. I also, I think become what becomes really prominent when I'm working clinically is the, the power of effective teams. And that's both singular professionals, but also the multidisciplinary team across organizations. Uh, and within that, I think, you know, the family, and the wider society to make a difference, and then finally, I think the thing for me clinically that is most prominent is the level of risk that we are managing in healthcare and the emotional intensity of the work that we do. Mm. So, I think in my clinical role, that probably are the thing; those are the things that probably stand out the most. I think in the leadership Schwartz space, if I put those two together, if you like, I think. The dominant thing is, is a sense of contrasts, I think. And what I mean by that is that you get exposed to the level of complexity, but also this huge desire for simplicity in terms of responding to what's going on. And then you have this idealisation of... What services are about, what leaders can do, the idea that, you know, one person can change the world, et cetera, to this sort of rational abstraction of what's going on. So we apply a lot of technical, rational views to how we respond to health services, which then leads to something else I noticed, which is this you get this emotional suppression. So let's take emotions out of this, let's be rational here as if we can do that, which I would argue we can't. And then on the other hand, particularly in the Schwartz rounds, a real focus on the expression of the emotional intensity and how it impacts on what we do and why we do it. And then you get these this um, difference between the sort of very future orientated. So let's think about what we're gonna do, let's focus on the future, And then also within backing to the Schwarzman and stuff, very much on what's going on in the present and this sort of artificial split, if you like, that goes on. And then finally, I think one of the things in the sort of leadership development arena is much more an exposure to the power and politics of healthcare, which again, I think doesn't get talked about a lot. So in terms of when people talk about leadership, they often focus on, what I would call the sort of the positive aspects of, of leadership. But actually, there's a lot of power and politics that goes on. And we are constantly negotiating and collaborating and competing with each other to get things done. But again, alongside that, this real sense of empathy and compassion for recognising what people are, are facing. So I think those are my sort of clinical leadership. But then I think the other thing I found very interesting is sitting in this charity sector. So, sitting in the charity sector, then working with the health service is very interesting. And you start to see both the constraints of the health service in being able to be flexible and responsible sometimes to rapidly changing environments, although obviously it's possible to do it. And the pandemic has shown how fantastic it can be at that. But also, those constraints and opportunities to be able to be responsive to what's going on and I I think the other thing that I've been really exposed to is the sort of ideologies of the different sectors and sometimes and it probably doesn't feel like this and I'm sure I didn't feel like this when I was completely immersed in the health service but actually how privileged the health service is in terms of its position compared to social services and social care, but also the voluntary sector. I think, you know, people don't necessarily recognise that. And then finally, sorry, David, because there's so many roles. Please, carry on. Different perspectives. But having recently been a patient and also having spent quite a long time as a carer, I think what you see is both the, the contrast of you see excellent care And you also see poor care and you see flexibility to respond and you see huge rigidity in terms of responding to what carers and patients need. And and I think at times in those roles, I felt very safe and supported. And at times I felt quite frightened and scared and grateful and frustrated and sometimes seen as What's going on for me is very important, and other times felt quite ignored by the system. So, I think these, these, as I say, this sort of paradoxical nature, which in my researcher, with my researcher hat on, is something that you're able to sort of stand back, have this sort of detached level of involvement, and look at what's going on from all of these different perspectives, and again, see the sort of complexity, the paradoxical nature of it. And what's going on both at the local level but also at the generalizable so it's it's a yeah sometimes you sort of think i feel I'm a bit like a kaleidoscope at times you know and you keep turning it and thinking oh that's interesting oh my god that's interesting too and then what do you do with all of that
0: and there's there's a really interesting message in that about there isn't a single truth here and no. attempts to find it are pretty futile there's something about I call for us all to listen and respond and hear where people are actually at rather than bring our own stories of what it should be to this. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I I really like that, that the idea that there is one truth And, and, and in some ways, you know, we want it to be so because it's comforting to us. And yet the reality is that there are multiple truths. So I think one of the key things, like you say, of bringing these different perspectives is to say, can we together, create some shared understanding and meaning of what we think is going on and then how we together try and respond to that.
0: Yeah, and that could take us off on a very interesting line about what leadership means in the current care sector, <laughs> but let's not go there today. Um, I'm I'm really curious if we were to hand you a magic wand that allowed you to kind of get a message to all of the public that was helpful at the moment, what would you want all of the public to know about care services at the moment?
1: I suppose what I'd want to, for the public and society at large to think about is that we need to be realistic about our expectations of the care services. Uh, And in that, I mean, you're thinking about what is it we need versus what we want and what is is possible. I think there have been various reports by various organisations, King's Fund, Nuffield Trust, Health Foundation, the National Audit Office, outlining the sort of the financial, the workforce, the demographic issues that we're facing in society and and within the health services and social services in particular. But I think the the question is, so what are we willing to invest in uh, as a society? The other thing I would say is that people that work in in, in the health service in social care, they're not heroes. Actually, they are human beings trying to care for people. And the work that they do is risky and it's very emotionally intense. And so I think, you know, there's a recognition of that. And, and I think we need to invest in our health. And that doesn't just mean health services, that means health in its broadest sense, because when we do that, it makes good social and economic sense. You know the founding principles of the health service is it's based on reciprocity. And I think that you know we need to recognize our individual health and well-being is intertwined with the well-being of others. And so we have to recognize everything is connected. But that's what I think I'd like the public to think about,
0: really. Fantastic. So, Rebecca, you touched there on the sort of political ask as well. And I'm really interested if you could ask something of the Secretary of State right now, what that would be.
1: So, I think that I think I, what I would say to the Secretary of State of Health is that, you know, your job is very difficult. You know, you only have to read Nicholas Timmins' work about uh, glaziers and window breakers, which is an interview of successive Secretaries of State of Health to see that that's the case. And I also think you've got one of the most important roles in government. I would say seek wise counsel. And within that, I mean, not just those people that are immediately around you, but those that are directly providing the care and those that are receiving it. And not just in public forums, but also quietly spending time with practitioners doing their work. I think I would say celebrate the great work that happens, but also be honest about its limitations. And finally, I think I would say you're the custodian of one of the greatest inventions in this country. And so perhaps my wish is that you look after it well for us and for future generations.
0: Well, that's a very powerful way to end our conversation today. Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your insight and such a rich variety of experience and perspectives on care services we really appreciate it if you want to hear more about the point of care foundation and our mission to humanize healthcare, you can visit our website at pointofcarefoundation.org.uk or the point of care foundation on twitter you'll be able to find as easily enough in a search thank you very much for listening to this point of care podcast we look forward to welcoming you to the next episode Until then, this is David Jones saying goodbye. Thank you.